Today's episode of Dear Old State is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, joined as always by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Season is over, Audrey. It's a little bit of news, but we are here to wrap things up. Surprisingly, it's it's already here. The season's over. A long offseason awaits us. That it does, Matt. Happy uh, post-wildcard weekend as well. Big, Happy uh, for some of us. We, well, the, your yeah. Packers didn't have to endure. <laughs> it was a very stress-free weekend for me, which was nice. Uh, well, stress-free once we got past Friday night in Penn State, announcing that they've hired an offensive line coach around 8 p.m. But who's counting, Matt? I mean, this is uh, <laughs> this is the time of year these things happen. At least the press uh, conference so wasn't at 8 p.m. Friday night. Oh man, that would have been that would have been must-see television if it was. I was actually uh, in a sports bar. I'm in Downingtown, still in my hometown. And uh, met up with a few writers who were coming to town to cover uh, Penn State basketball on Saturday at the Palestra. So obviously, big win for Penn State hoops, Matt. There's not many times I we could can spend start the whole podcast the talking about that game. Honestly, I know, <laughs> I know that you would love to. That game was wild. <laughs> but I, I just got in there Friday night and sat down, and my phone goes off, and I was like, "Oh, well, they hired an offensive line coach." And the other two writers who were with me were like. Yep, Friday night, 8 o'clock, here we are. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Phil Troutwine. They shouldn't be so hiding this. It seems like I think we'd agree a pretty good hire here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you look at the way James Franklin's been able to kind of retool this staff over the years, and, like, I think he's done a really good job, at least, you know, on paper, which I think is how all these things are measured at this point, track records and on paper. Uh, it looks like he certainly did that with Kirk Scirocco. Then you follow that up uh, with Phil Troutwine. And, you know, Matt, we're going to have to see what they do with this offensive line uh, in terms of what are its strengths and weaknesses. How do these, both of these guys, not just Troutwine, but how does Shiraka and Troutwine assess this line? Uh, and how do they move forward with it? Because uh, it's been, you know, much talked about over the years, the Penn State offensive line and how it's been retooled since the sanctions. But this is, you know, I think... This was a big hit again for them uh, in terms of, you know, we had talked maybe they'd promote Tyler Bowen from within. They didn't do that. Uh, but it looks like they got themselves a pretty strong candidate. Yeah, you know, people might look at Boston College and say, okay, they've been really mediocre, which is very true. But for all of Steve Adazio's faults, who was just fired, he's now the coach of Colorado State, for all his faults, he is an offensive line guru. Uh, he's very noted as an offensive line coach. 
So if he sees Troutwine as an up-and-comer who he brought to Boston College, I, I would trust that, and I would trust what he's done the past couple of years because even though BC had a mediocre season, they still were pretty, really good on the offensive line. Uh, A.J. Dillon, who's one of the better running backs in the country, had 1,600 yards, 14 touchdowns on the ground. And, you know, BC doesn't throw as much as Penn State, but uh, gave up 13 sacks in 13 games. Penn State gave up 32 sacks in 13 games this year. So, you you know, it's it's still a team that threw, what, uh, 23 times per game, which is not a ton, but they protect, protected the quarterback well, blocked well in the run game, a uh, bunch of all-ACC accolades, and... To, to add to that, Troutwine is a New Jersey native as well. So you get some Northeastern ties. It's never bad to have somebody who can maybe recruit New Jersey. So all in all, I think it checks a decent number of boxes here. And it, it's not something I don't think anybody really predicted, but I don't know how easily we could have predicted an outside hire for offensive line coach. So, you know, jury's <laughs> yeah. out. We'll see how it works out. But seems like a strong hire here. I agree, Matt, especially on the New Jersey part, uh, because you look at that and you're getting some more Northeast recruiting ties, you know, and that's certainly, you look at New Jersey, the talent that's come out of there over the years, that's really important. And I know. And they've slipped there a little bit, I feel like. Like It's become so competitive there. It's, I mean, everybody wants a part of Jersey. And when, you know, when uh, Ricky Ronnie was hired, at that point, Penn State had New Jersey divided into like three parts, I believe, if I recall correctly. And Ronnie did have part of New Jersey uh, at that one point. But, you know, you're bolstering ties there. You also get a guy who played at Florida, um, which certainly, you know, that carries a lot of weight. Also somebody who played in the NFL, you know. So you have the NFL experience. You know, looking at his bio, he spent time with the Rams, Browns, Saints, and Chargers. So that's, you know, that's something a little bit different when you look at Penn State's staff. Uh, it's not, you know, loaded with guys with tons of NFL background, uh, which is pretty Typical for a lot of college stats, you know, you get get a mix of people, mix of backgrounds, uh, but they've done that. Then you look at his coaching career, began at Boston College in 2013 as a graduate assistant, was there from 2013 to 2015, then he went to Davidson, where he coached the tight ends and was also a special teams coordinator in 2016 to 2017, and then obviously 2018 to present has been Boston College. So, you know, once Penn State gets back on campus, which the players will report, Uh, This weekend, the semester starts next Monday. So once they get back, Matt, there's going to be kind of like a crash course probably going on over there in that building. It's probably going on now as we speak, uh, even though, you know, the town, for all intents and purposes, is pretty quiet. But they have to begin and continue figuring out this roster and trying to sort through it. Um, And, you know, you're going to have to see. I think this is where spring ball this year is going to hold a lot of weight because you're going to see, okay, how is Sean Clifford interacting with his new quarterbacks coach, which Shiraka is also going to do that, you know? How are these linemen responding? And I don't know, Matt, if we're ever in the clear in terms of transfer portal and NFL draft decisions. Um, we still, as of... Two well, weeks until the draft this, deadline, still as we record this. Yeah, you know, so who knows? Uh, Shaka Tony probably still has some kind of decision to make. Um, I did see Lamont Wade was tweeting over the weekend about sending Shiraka... Uh, his film from offense. So I guess that maybe means he's coming back. I would think he comes back, but who knows? Uh, So we have to see where that stands and, you know, the transfer portal. But yeah, I think Penn State has set itself up really nicely with the additions that they've made to this staff. Um, I think, obviously, you have to see how it plays out, but I think fans should be happy about both hires because it sounds like they've made, looks like 
they've made probably about as best of hires as they could. Uh, the Athletic College Football is will be live in New Orleans for the College Football Playoff National Championship on Saturday, January 11th at the House of Blues in New Orleans for live episodes of The Audible with Bruce Feldman and Stu Mandel and The Andy Staples Show with Andy Staples. Doors open at noon central on the 11th, and the show starts at 1 central. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football. And Audrey, we know we have some of the brightest minds in college football. I just mentioned mm-hmm. Bruce and Stu and Andy. Uh, Nicole Auerbach and Matt Fortuna will be in New Orleans with our national Grace staff. Rainer. And yes, our, our Clemson writer Grace Rayner, our LSU writer Brody Miller. Brody. Well, before we move on and spend dear old state talking for, you know, months and months about the 2020 season, it is time to look back one last time kind of at the big picture of the whole 2019 season. We've talked about the Cotton Bowl. We've talked about plenty, obviously, over over these last few months, but we're going to go back and give our little season awards now here. Uh, the ones like good- that really matter. The awards that most matter, obviously. The Gerald <laughs> State 2019 first ever Penn State Awards from Gerald State. So we're going to go just kind of the obvious categories, I suppose. But it was a, I think we can call it a successful season for Penn State. You know, it didn't end in any yeah. kind of Big Ten or National Championship or anything like that. But near six win, 11 wins again. It's the third time in four years they've won 11 games. Uh, they were in the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. They, they're going to be on the borderline, probably in the AP poll on my ballot. I think I will have Penn State in the top 10, but could be the third top 10 finish in four years and better than expectations. Cause I don't, you know, there were a few 10 and two predictions, but not a ton. I think there were a few among our national writers, but not us actually. Um, Definitely not me. Yeah. <laughs> you were eight and four. I was nine and three. I ended up going 11 and two. So pretty successful year, but you know, some also, Obviously, some areas for improvement in the offseason in the next year where we expect high expectations. But let's just start with the, I don't know, one that might have an obvious answer. Audrey, who is your offensive MVP for Penn State season? No, I do not go with Noah Kane. Let's get that out there. Um, only because he was injured. I went with KJ Hamler, Matt, and that's, I think, the obvious, the obvious one. But I think the difference here, uh, because I think you can look at this and – make some justifications for players who had really good years. You know, I think you can look at Sean Clifford and say, you know what, as a first-year starter, uh, he was up and down as you'd expect, but he made some progressions. You know, he, again, for a team to go 11-2 and with a first-year starting quarterback, that's important. Obviously, you can look at Pat Fryermuth and say, man, he's done a heck of a lot of good things uh, when Penn State's consistently used him, which we can get into that at another date. Um But I think you look at him, you say, man, this is a big part of the future of this team. You look at Journey Brown. You know, there's a guy who nobody would have expected, no one in their right mind at least, I think, uh, certainly not us, would have projected that we'd be sitting here in January saying, man, look at Journey Brown, look at the year he had. He heads into next year as the unquestioned starter in our minds, or my mind at least. Um, You know, we wouldn't have said that, but to me, everything with this offense it was about the explosive plays right that's what they wanted to be built on it was about KJ Hamler getting him 10 to 12 touches a game there was no other player on that roster where the coaching staff came out and said we have to get them x amount of touches per game Um, and that's where as you know we'll continue to talk about all all offseason how does Penn State move on from a guy like KJ Hamler Uh, it's going to be really difficult shoes to fill so that's why I meant He's my offensive MVP, but you also look at him. I mean, he was your punt returner. He was their kick returner. 
uh, really do-it-all guy, brought a lot of energy to the team. So all that stuff, you know, I think is important, but I probably picked the most obvious choice, right? I will point out here that despite the insistence on getting him 10 to 12 touches per game, they only did that in five of 13 games. Yes. Uh, But still, it's not like... I didn't never really felt the season like, oh my God, they're not feeding KJ Hamler enough. If you look at yeah. the stats, I mean, he just, you know, dominated the receiving categories for Penn State. And, you know, he finishes the year with uh, six in the Big Ten in receiving yards, 56 catches, 904 yards, eight touchdowns, uh, averaged 16.1 yards per catch, had a few drops, but obviously had a great year, explosive receiving as always. Uh, Pat Frymuth had 43 catches. Then the next was Jahan Dotson with 27. Nobody else had more than 15. So KJ Hamler was just far and away Penn State's, you know, most targeted receiver, most productive receiver. And we didn't get the, you know, he had some moments, but we didn't really get the explosive kick and punt returns this year. It just didn't work out that way. But it's hard to, in a year in which nobody put up like really, really gaudy statistics on offense, uh, KJ Hamler is the obvious choice, but the best choice. I mean, Frymuth was great. Journey Brown really flashed down the stretch, especially, but KJ Hamler was the best offensive player in this team. And Matt, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Penn State's season-ending awards. I believe they also gave KJ Hamler the offensive MVP award. Well, I believe so, he was the uh, wasn't he the team MVP? I believe, and but they had a different offensive award. Maybe it was Friday. Oh, it could have been. Yeah, you did, might be they, right I think they that. did the NFL think, type yeah. thing where the MVP and the offensive player of the year were different. Yeah, they they want to try and. Uh, Make it like all pro voting, Matt. That's what they should do. Well, if we wanted to do that, I would probably argue for the same thing. If you want to give Friar Muth, <laughs> yeah. Now, now that we want to rescind our awards that we just handed out, uh, no. I mean, I, I think I think we're right on this because um, we don't have a team MVP award because I think we can argue um, definitely on both sides of the ball. Uh, there's one person who comes to mind who I think we can make a pretty good argument for, but um, I, we're we're spot on with Hamler and the fact that. You know, I'll, I said it on here before, Matt, but there's certain players when they touch the ball, everybody in the stadium is on the edge of the edge of their seat, or if they're already standing, they peek their heads forward a little bit more. We saw it with Saquon Barkley, and KJ Hamler had that same effect on the stadium. You watch how the crowds reacted, um, and plus, you know, you mentioned the special teams aspect of it. Teams didn't want to kick to him; they didn't want to that's punt true. to him, um, and that's I think you know one of these things that impacts the team where you know you if you just look at the box score you can say one thing but you know you consistently look at uh, the impact that he had uh undoubtedly offensive mvp matt and i think the one on the defense is pretty clear as well quite possibly <laughs> you may be thinking of michael parsons who <laughs> you read my mind i mean yitzor gross matos had a good year i don't he didn't quite he might, you know, statistically, he might have been better in uh, last year. You know, he yeah. twenty tackles for loss in twenty eighteen, and fifteen this year. Micah Parsons, I think, just stood out, and over the course of the year, kind of emerged as the guy. And you know, Penn State has a handful of really good defensive players, but Parsons, hundred nine tackles, fourteen tackles for loss, five sacks, five pass breakups, four forced fumbles. You know, he had the hurry that turned into the interception for a touchdown by Garrett Taylor in the Cotton Bowl. Obviously could have had a few interceptions himself, didn't have it, but that's just, you know, we're, we're minor quibbles here that he would yeah. quibble with himself. Uh, you know, he's a guy who led the team in tackles in 2018 as a freshman, even though he only started one game. And now he comes back and just takes the next step. Five-star recruit, you know, learning a new position at linebacker last year. And we knew he would just keep getting better and better and better. And that's exactly what he's doing. They used him as a pass rusher more this year. We saw that in, in, 
the Cotton Bowl, he finished with double-digit tackles in six of the last seven games. And Penn State uh, finishes the season leading the nation in yards per carry allowed in run defense, which also includes sacks, and Penn State had a lot of sacks. But they were very good against the run all year, and Micah Parsons was a huge part of that because he's just – Flies are on the ball, uh, you know. He even if he makes a mistake, he makes up for it with his athleticism. But he's making fewer mistakes as well because he's learning the position, learning the game, and uh, can't say enough about what Parsons had done and also his potential for next year. I mean, man, he was just playing out of his mind, and and you look at it, you look at it down the stretch, especially. Um, you know, this is somebody who. It's hard for me to believe that he's already approaching his junior yes. season. You know, it's like. By and his time, last season, almost, <laughs> it's going to be I was going to say, I was going to say, let's get that out there. His junior and very likely last season. Well, did you uh, see you his at, tweet on Sunday? Yes, that he was he, clarifying that he's he, not eligible for the draft. He said, just for clarification, I'm only a sophomore. I'm not declaring for the NFL draft. And uh, he also retweeted <laughs> Adrian it. Amos, retweeting him saying, somebody check his ID, which is a valid mean, point because he looks NFL ready at this point. You mean Packers safety, Adrian yes, Amos. Yes, yes, There we go. There's our Packers reference for the day. Um. Uh, you know, I just think that so much, so many times you look at five-star guys around the country and you say, oh man, they, they're they a bust or they didn't live up to the potential. They weren't a game changer. Like this guy passes the eye test every single week. And that to me is just remarkable. I mean, you look at Itor Grossmatos, a guy who very well could probably end up going in the first round of the NFL draft this year, uh, had an outstanding college career. But you look at how defense, or how sorry, how offense has approached him this year. What they wanted to do to try and limit him after he burst on the scene last year, uh, and they were successful in doing that sometimes. Uh, but he still had a really good game against Ohio State. But now, you look at a guy like Parsons, and it's like, how can you stop this guy? Because Penn State can move him around so much. His athleticism is off the charts. Um, he's still lobbying for kick returns, which, you know, who knows, maybe they give him one in the spring game to please him just for kicks. Um, but I just think, Matt, you know, it's all the questions about Micah coming to Penn State were always about, you know, how's he going to be off the field? What kind of teammate is he going to be? And by all accounts, he has not been a problem as a teammate. You know, guys love him. They love to bust on him. I mean, I think, this is somebody who we know next year, this coming season, is going to garner a lot of attention for him. He said he's ready. He's built for it. Uh, I think the crazy thing, which is just how college football works, Penn State probably, by the time things are all said and done next year this time, uh, they're probably going to have spent more time recruiting Micah Parsons than they actually did coaching him, right? <laughs> Assuming he goes <laughs> three and out. I mean, that's pretty crazy when you think about it, but this is one of those guys that you had to recruit the heck out of because you wanted him so bad because you knew that wherever he went, he was going to be a game changer. Uh, and he certainly was that. The Cotton Bowl performance that we outlined last week, Matt, was just absolutely remarkable. I mean, it, it seems like we're running out of words to describe the guy because he's that good. Um, and I think, you know, you look next year, if you make a case for a team MVP, people are going to be looking for Micah Parsons to be that guy, you know? You have to think he has a shot at being a team captain next year, probably should be a team captain. Um, but as he told me, in the, even in the lead-up to the bowl game, his next step really doesn't have much to do with football. It's about being a leader. It's about all those intangibles, all those other things that this defense and this team is going to need him to do. But for the sophomore season that he just had, 
my gosh, yeah. I, I don't think we can even nitpick anything with it, Matt. He'll he'll say the interceptions, of course, because uh, he's you know a perfectionist. But yeah, remarkable, remarkable talent. And for as good as KJ Hamler is, I I think if I looked at the whole season, I would say Micah Parsons was Penn State's best player this year. And yeah. I would give him the I overall MVP honors for the team, and especially because the best aspect of Penn State's team this year was run defense, and Parsons was just such a big part of that. Um, and Matt, they, they didn't give up, if I'm from recalling correctly, they didn't give up a rush more than 30 yards this correct. year. Correct. Yeah, I think you had at 29. I mean, yeah, that yeah, two teams got 29 yards against them. I believe it was Buffalo and Iowa. And I mean, that's like those numbers are just remarkable. And it's like you said, I mean, he's a big reason why. Uh, you look at the success of this defense, especially against the run. Um, I would agree with you. If we had a team MVP uh, for the season, I would go with Micah Parsons as well. The NFL playoffs are finally here. There's only a few more games left before the champ is crowned. Don't be caught saying wait till next year like 24 other teams. Get in on the action this weekend with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You don't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code TOSS, and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's move on to freshman of the year. Fair number of freshmen made... You know, they don't have to lean on freshmen, but six guys did not redshirt, which means they exceeded uh, four games. Then obviously we saw a bunch more play four or fewer games and maintain that redshirt. And uh, so, Audrey, who would you pick as your Penn State freshman of the year, either side of the ball? You know, I went with Keaton Ellis, uh, which might come as a surprise to some, seeming that I asked about Noah Kane, we think, every week. was not every week, but it might might have felt like it. Um, I think, Matt, you look at these young corners that they have, Between, you know, Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, Joey Porter Jr., I think they have hit on all three of those guys. I think they have some big-time corners in the pipeline right now. Terry Smith loves these guys, and rightfully so. I mean, Keaton Ellis was somebody who Penn State thought they got, you know, kind of this big sleeper because he was a state-high kid, because he grew up rooting for Penn State, going to Games and Beaver Stadium. Um, You know, him and Brandon Smith were the two guys, two freshmen who appeared in every game this year for Penn State. And Ellis was, like, constantly around the ball. And, you know, they put a lot on his plate. You also saw him on special teams. But I think, Matt, if you look at this recruiting class, if you look at that 2019 class as a whole, I think the talent there is going to be off the charts because the fact that my freshman of the year was Keaton Ellis and it wasn't, you know, five-star linebacker Brandon Smith, uh, I think that tells you a lot. And that's not certainly not a knock on Brandon at all. I think he's still going to be a heck of a really good player. But just in terms of guys making an impact this year as a freshman, we saw more of Ellis, you know, so you had a bigger sample size to go from. Uh, I talked, it's up today on The Athletic, up Monday morning, uh, about Brandon Smith and his freshman year and how 
things started slowing down for him, and he now knows two positions at linebacker. I mean, I think this freshman class uh, that'll now be sophomores and redshirt freshmen, I think they have some big-time players in there. Obviously, Noah Kane, Devin Forge, certainly a big part of that as well. Um, but I'm going to go with Keaton Ellis just for the fact that I think Matt, I don't know. Now, here's, I guess, the interesting part of this. I don't know what corner of that group, the three that I mentioned, who has the highest ceiling. I think that's an interesting debate. And who's in best position to start next year? It's going to be a very interesting yeah. very interesting position battle. Three Castro Fields coming back, but John Reed is gone. And obviously, you know, you basically need three corners. If I mean, it depends who ends up playing the nickel spot. But, you know, there's obviously room for playing time and some very, very good candidates here. And here's a stat for you, Audrey, that uh, – so – 15 players nationally had four or more forced fumbles this year. Micah Parsons among them. So then there's a whole bunch of guys tied for 16th nationally with three forced fumbles, including Mr. Keaton Ellis, Keaton Ellis and Marquise yep. Wilson. I was going to say, Wilson was another one. They forced a lot of fumbles this year. <laughs> they did. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where you look at these guys, Matt. It's not just like they weren't just on the field, but they were productive when they were out there. And you look at, you know, Wilson with a big play at the end of the, you know, cotton bowl to kind of seal it. Um, and Porter Jr., despite him not burning his red shirt, he maybe could be the most intriguing of those three when you look at his background and they rave about his long arms and athleticism, obviously the son of Joey Porter. Um, I just think that they made an emphasis, and we haven't even talked about Daquan Hardy, but he's somebody else who's come on for them. Um, you talk about the secondary and why they hit so hard on the 2019 with taking all these cornerbacks. Uh, they're already getting that return on investment, which I think is incredible. So that's my, my Keaton Ellis uh, piece, Matt. But who is your freshman? Do we agree on this? I'm going to – I think I'd have to give the love to Noah Kane here, despite the okay. – you know, he missed basically four games. He had one – I mean, he missed a big chunk of the Michigan State game, uh, missed Minnesota, Indiana, and Rutgers, briefly appeared in the Ohio State game. But uh, I still – you know, I, I think you are – Totally, in it's totally fine to pick Keaton Ellis, who I think looks very, very good in I think more extended action than we thought. Even that we knew he was going to play, I think he got more run than we thought, and partly maybe it was because of injuries. Catcher Fields was banged up, Donovan Johnson was banged up, but I think it's a worthy choice. But I still got to give some love to Noah Kane, who had 84 carries, 443 yards, eight touchdowns, and emerged as something Penn State. I don't want to say hasn't had because Saquon Barkley is like the best <laughs> player in Penn State history. Miles Sanders obviously was a great player. Uh, Kane, just his running style is a little bit different as a guy who gives Penn State a closer, somebody who can come in and, you know, what's been one of the biggest problems under James Franklin before this year was finishing games, getting those crucial first downs to, to ice a game and, you know, not give the other team the ball back. And Kane is a guy who was able to run clock and get key first downs and fight for tough yards and always move forward and seemingly never lose yards. And, you know, for, you know, Journey Brown was obviously phenomenal with 200 yards in the Cotton Bowl. Noah Kane, in his first game back from injury, 15 carries, 92 yards, two touchdowns. Had a great game. Again, consistently got yards. He also had 105 yards in the Purdue game. Uh, earlier in the season in the Pitt game, he only had six carries for 40 yards, but he played a crucial role in one of those second-half drives that Penn State needed to kind of sustain a drive and stay on the field, and he did that. And scored a touchdown as well in a game that was 17-10. Uh, and then also the Iowa game, he Iowa. was just yep. enormous. That was the big one. 22 carries, 102 yards. You know, look at it, okay, 4.6 yards per carry isn't, you know, isn't enormous or anything like that. 
but he consistently gained tough yards to win a close game on the road in a tough environment against a good defense. He looked like a veteran in that game. And so, you know, Journey Brown's been fantastic. I still think Ricky Slade is a high ceiling. I still think, you know, Devin Ford was only a freshman, showed flashes as well. And Noah Kane still might be the best running back Penn State has. And that's not taking anything away from Journey Brown. That's how good I think Noah Kane can be in the flashes that we saw from him. So uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops, especially in this crowded running back room. But we saw such great flashes from Noah Kane as a style of runner I feel like Penn State hasn't really had in, in a while. And you had that lull, Matt, in the pit game. And you had Noah Kane, and I believe it was third quarter. He comes in um, and kind of broke the offense out of a funk there. You know, it's like you look at it, like you mentioned the Iowa game. I mean, those were key, key, key moments, big time moments. Um, I, I don't I don't know if, if they go on to beat Pitt, uh, if they don't kind of break out of their funk there with what he did. Um, who knows what happens at Iowa if he doesn't have that type of game. I mean, again, for a freshman to be put in those spots to respond the way he did, uh, remarkable, remarkable season from him as well. And, you know, you look at what Devin Ford was able to do, busting off some long runs. Um, I mean, both of these guys, again, Matt, the big storyline in the offseason, we're going to continue to talk about it. What do you do with six scholarship running backs? You know, how do you balance that out? Uh, but I think, again, I, and maybe it's just because it's recency bias, Matt. I don't know, but I feel like off the top of my head, looking at this 2019 class as a whole, the signees, they have some big-time playmakers in that group that we started to see this year. I mean, yes, they've recruited insanely well under James Franklin. Uh, we can point back to Micah Parsons' class and look at that and the star power there. Uh, but don't forget, Lance Dixon is a guy who preserved his red shirt last year. Highly touted linebacker uh, who's going to pair with Brandon Smith well in the coming years. So I just think as a whole, you know, you look at that freshman class and there is a lot to like. And I think that's why you look at the foundation for next year. Six of these guys burned their red shirts, but you saw a lot of them play. You look at a guy like a Caden Wallace, you know, adding depth up front. Where is he going to factor in next year along that offensive line? A lot of reason for intrigue, a lot of reason for optimism. Uh, So Keaton, Keaton Ellis... And Noah Kane, both worthy choices, man. One other one. One other one. Uh oh. Who did I forget? Now we're talking about true freshmen, but Rashid oh. Walker was a redshirt freshman. Oh, okay. Did I think a you know ha- had some lapses I think and whatnot, but had a pretty rock solid year yeah. I think as a redshirt freshman starting at left tackle trying to protect a new starting quarterback. So I don't think Rashid Walker was like overwhelmingly dominant or whatever, but had a pretty nice year. Uh, where he wasn't noticed a lot and probably for good reason. So I think even though he's a redshirt freshman, we do have to shout him out as well. In that Just spot. like the actual awards, you know, the redshirt freshman get included in these things. Um, not in our awards, but he can get his own <laughs> award. The redshirt freshman of the year award goes to Rashid Walker. There you go. So, all right, let's pick up the pace and maybe do some quicker hits for, for the we, – <laughs> we're never long-winded here on Dear Old State. But, nope. Uh, let's hit, do some quicker hits for the rest of these categories here. I think we'll both agree on who was our most pleasant surprise of the year. Journey Brown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Leads the team in rushing. You know, the, he had he set a Penn State Bowl record with 202 rushing yards. Had over 100 yards in four of his last five games. 124 against Minnesota, 100 against Indiana, 103 against Rutgers, 202 against Memphis, and for some reason only got 11 carries against Ohio State. Turned those into 64 yards and a touchdown. 
and also had 109 against Pitt early in the year. So Penn, Penn State's leading rusher was the three-star recruit who didn't have many offers, despite the fact that he had 700 rushing yards in a high school game once and was a track star. Doesn't look like a track star anymore, Matt. He looks like a really good football player, and that, again, creates that log jam in the backfield, but Penn State will take that any day um, because Journey Brown looked like a legitimate starting running back, especially down the stretch 100%. of this season. In the Cotton Bowl, uh, to have a performance like that to build off of next year is really going to be impressive, and who knows you know, what happens with the offensive line in front of them, in front of him, how, how they improve, all those sorts of things, but... Yeah, uh, to say that we'd be sitting here on January 6th, 2020, talking about Journey Brown uh, as not only the starting running back, but as a really productive starting running back, you know, obviously bypassed Ricky Slade, continued to hold off everybody else. He stayed healthy and durable, uh, which was another, you know, important part to that. But yeah, totally the pleasant surprise, best surprise player of the year was Journey Brown. Uh, let's move on. Let's give a Coach of the Year award to one of the assistant coaches, and I think we can agree that James Franklin did a very nice job this year to exceed expectations, win 11 games. Oh, yeah. But let's give an award to somebody on his staff. Who was your assist, most valuable assistant coach of the year? Well, Matt, now here's disclaimers. Does it have to be a, an assistant who's still here or not? No, I mean, we're talking about the 2019 it, season. <laughs> okay, it wouldn't sway my opinion either way, but just wanted to make sure we had that clear yes. for future voting criteria. Of course. Uh, I'm going to go with Jaywan Sider and the fact that, yes, he had a lot of backs to work with, still has a lot of backs to work with, but the thing that really Well, that's also me, because of his recruiting prowess, so he gets credit yes. for that too. <laughs> so credit for that, but also the fact that these guys like each other. Yeah. There's been, at least publicly, no pouting, no pointing fingers, and it would have been so easy for that to happen, especially you look at this from the outside looking in, and we all say, well, how do you keep you know four guys happy? How do you keep six guys happy next year? His personality has allowed them to do that, and obviously with Journey Brown being our surprise player of the year, someone has to coach up Journey Brown. That someone is Jaywan Sider. So I think you look at the mix there between taking a guy who really didn't have much game experience, was but a little bit older in Journey Brown, turning him into a number one back, but yet doing enough with the five-star that you have in Ricky Slade uh, to keep him involved, keep him engaged. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Matt, but Ricky Slade's going to be fascinating, fascinating case study at Penn State just to kind of see how things go. Um, but when I asked Jaywan Sider after the Cotton Bowl about those backs and kind of where they stand... You know, he said, listen, he hasn't lost confidence in Ricky Slade. He said, you know, he felt Slade was trying to press too much this year, uh, but that he said, you know, he'll go to his grave thinking that Ricky Slade is and can still be a, excuse me, a really good running back. So credit to him for keeping those guys upbeat and positive and keeping four, four, you know, relatively highly touted backs, three especially highly touted backs, happy and engaged in a day and age where it is not easy to do that in college football at all. And I think that is a very fine choice given, you know, people like coach of the year awards, like in general, like people get like, it goes to somebody who like gets the most out of their talent or whatever. And somebody who exceeds media expectations. And then that like ignores like people like Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. It's like, well, they have all this talent. Well, recruiting is part of the job. Like if you're given coach of the year awards, you can also include that. Like it's part of the job. And Jay Wan Sider is one of the best recruiters in the country has been very important for Penn state in that respect and as you said i think he's yeah managed personalities well uh but i'm gonna shout out somebody else here too i i'm gonna give credit to joe lurig who yep. despite the fact that again penn state did not break big returns this year 
Special teams were largely error-free. I'm not saying there weren't a couple errors, a couple moments, but Penn State ranks fourth in uh, ESPN FPI's special teams efficiency. And if you look at maybe some of the things we don't think about as much, but opposing punt returns this year, opponents had 20 punt return, returned 20 punts for 34 yards, an average of 1.7 yards <laughs> per return, no touchdowns. Opposing kick returns, opponents had 14 returns, 239 yards, no touchdowns. That's an average of 17.1 yards per kick return. Both of those rank in the top eight nationally. Okay, so very, very good in kick and punt coverage this year. And that's partially because, you know, in punt coverage, Blake Gillikin did a fantastic job this year. Um, you know, his average 42.2 wasn't, you know, like national high or anything. But he had a, he had a good year and pins opponents uh, deep sometimes. Clearly had kind of a rebound year. was a really, really nice field position weapon for Penn State. And then field goals. Penn State only kicked 12 field goals, so there wasn't really a ton of – or only kicked, I should say, sorry, 15 field goals. There wasn't a ton of attention on Jake Pinnaker, mm-hmm. but he went 11 of 12 this year. And he didn't miss a couple extra points, but 11 of 12 on field goals, rock solid this year. He was the guy inside 50 yards. And then obviously Jordan Stout comes in, made two of three of his long field goal attempts and was a phenomenal kickoff specialist, which played into the lack of return success for opponents as well. So you got to give him credit for that. It was a nice, great find on the, uh, on the, in the transfer portal, he was fourth nationally in touchback percentage at 79.5%. So you add all of that up, you know, great job kind of across the board in the kicking game. They didn't give up returns. It's just they didn't lose games on special teams. And they lost games on special teams the year before. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to give credit to Joe Lurie. And, you know, it was kind of, I think, kind of hidden. Everybody noticed, uh, you know, Jordan Stout's kickoffs early in the year. But overall, just the entire unit and the lack of mistakes, even if they didn't make big plays necessarily in the return game, I'm going to give Joe Lurig credit for kind of overhauling things on special teams. And Matt, who knows what kind of tidbits he gave them ahead of the Memphis game that could have helped sway the Cotton Bowl. Who knows? We'll move on to a couple more categories here. What is our game of the year, Audrey? Best game of the year, which I would argue that it could be the actual best game, objectively speaking, might have been the Minnesota game. Uh, but we don't want to necessarily hit Penn State fans over the head with that. So, yeah. Do we have a best win of the year? <laughs> yeah, best win of the year has to be, I think, the whiteout. You know, you get the atmosphere against Michigan. Uh, game day was in town. Everybody was juiced. I mean, it was just, a, you know, excitement aplenty that, that day, really, that whole weekend. But the way Penn State came out, the way that they started off pretty fast in that game, jumped out to a lead, and then had all the dramatics, and everybody's, you know, kind of holding their breath, waiting to see what happens. Um, Penn State obviously pulls out the game 28-21. At that point, the Nittany Lions were 7-0. and So, you know, you had everything riding, you know. You said, okay, you had to build. And I will say, you know, the atmosphere at Iowa Kinnick Stadium is always awesome. That was a night game. Uh, that was really, really cool. But I think you look at it, uh, anytime Penn State gets a win against Michigan, in Beaver Stadium during a whiteout, it's going to be special. Uh, it's made even more special when Penn State is still undefeated. Made even more special, I think, when Jim Harbaugh's on the opposing sideline. This was Josh Gaddis's return to Beaver Stadium. All those kinds of things. Um, but K.J. Hamler had a really big game that day. Uh, you look at Penn State and obviously Donovan Peoples-Jones, both guys that you know, you're know you going to see playing on Sundays. So a lot of talent on the field collectively in that game, Matt. Uh, but to me, that's that's the one that takes the cake. 
I have two candidates, and I think my two. Ulti- my ultimate ants of two other candidates. Yeah, okay. I think the Michigan game. People, it ended up being a great game. It looked like it was gonna be a Penn State route. It ended up not being, and then yeah. you know, it ended up being an exciting finish, more exciting than expected. Two, my my runner up here that I'm gonna say is you know that. It was an old school Big Ten battle, but the Penn State Iowa game in Kinnick was pretty fun. Yeah. A 17 12 yep. game. Uh, yeah, you look, you know, Iowa kicked a bunch of field goals and, and or both teams kicked field goals and, and it wasn't a high scoring shootout or anything. It was 7 6 at halftime, but it was a really good defensive game that came down to some crucial plays by Noah Kane, the Penn State defense. And it was a big win for confidence to go into Kinnick with this young team. We knew that was the start of that tough three-game stretch that they ended up winning all three games. And then, of course, Minnesota ended up being like a tougher opponent than any of those three. Uh, but big, big win, big confidence booster. And it was it was an exciting game. Even you know, it was, And I guess we could even say the Pitt game was more exciting than people would have liked. I don't think anybody would call it game yeah. of the year. Though. But I think be- yeah. best game of the year, though, I, the Cotton Bowl was just a thriller. You know, it's the most points ever scored in the Cotton Bowl, the most points Penn State's ever scored in a bowl game. Even though the defense uh, left a lot to be desired, the best player in the field was a Penn State defender, Micah Parsons. You know, had you know, Journey Brown set a bull record for rushing yards. The game really swung on the an interception return for touchdown by Garrett Taylor, caused by Micah Parsons. It was 38-36 at that point. So, you know, you look at I, I gave a low scoring game of the year. This is the highest scoring game of the year. Penn State ended up winning by 14 points, but. Uh, it was a really close game, a really, really fun game, a 28-point second quarter for Penn State. So for pure adrenaline and excitement, it was hard to beat that Cotton Bowl as, as a memorable yeah. game. No, I agree with you there, man. I mean, you, you look at when you get, and you never know, too, how teams head into ball games, how they approach them. But Penn State and Memphis, to their credit, too, were both all about that game and maximizing that opportunity. And it wasn't just like, oh, this is it. Like, no, Penn State took that as, hey, this is a shot for 11 wins. This is a New Year's Six game, a chance to win it. <clears throat> Excuse me, nobody sat out of the game, so you had that aspect yep. to it. Um, I think we can all agree that Rutgers and Maryland would not qualify for our games of the year. Well, you're giving me a uh, transition to uh-huh. the next one. I'm teeing you up, man. We're gonna get, I, I hope I'm not forgetting something because a lot of things happen in uh, 13 games, but play of the year, and we don't have a Saquon Barkley here or, or whatever, but... The first thing that came to mind for play of the year was that Maryland game, which was maybe Penn State's most complete dominant effort. I, I don't even want to say maybe. Obviously, they killed Idaho, but Idaho is Idaho. You know, Maryland may not be very good, but it was still a Big Ten game that, you know, I don't think anybody expected necessarily 59 to yeah. nothing. And the game that really kind of just blew things apart for Maryland, or the play, I should say, was K.J. Hamler. Uh, they Penn State scored that early touchdown after an interception was up seven nothing. Then Maryland had three and out, and then Penn State faced third and nine at the at its own forty two yard line. Sean Clifford threw over the middle to KJ Hamler, who bounced off defenders, juked past them, high stepped past them. It was just one of those moments that we anticipate all the time for KJ Hamler. And you know, I think last week we talked. What was the most memorable play for KJ Hamler? I said uh, the ninety whatever yard. Touchdown yeah, against Ohio State last year. This was up there. It was against Maryland, but it was just kind of a, a ridiculous play that showcases his athleticism, his human joystick nickname, and his ability to get to top speed so quickly. And even even a little pa- a bit of power. I and mean, he can bounce off some tackler sometimes. So um, I think I'm going to go with that one. But do you have another suggestion, Audrey? Um, 
I do. However, I agree with you on that one. That play was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I have another suggestion, and too. It might be the same. <laughs> it, it, it jogged my memory to a play against Iowa okay. where Penn State had second and five, and they threw the ball to Hamler, and he like shook two defenders yes. as well. It's like, again, one of those human joystick moments where it looks like he's going to get stopped. Penn State's not going to pick anything up. They end up getting the first down. Uh, so that was the Iowa moment. But the Journey Brown run yes, against yeah. Memphis in the Cotton Bowl, uh, that that was the run of the year. I think we can also make an argument for that to be the play of the year. I mean, Matt, that was just – I'm sitting here now. I'm actually watching the replay because I embedded it in a, in a pond for the review. And it was just absolutely insane. You know, it's like he just carried the entire defense with him. He just kept shaking off guys. Well, I, said, I didn't know and, he had Marshawn Lynch in him. Like, we know he's yes. speedy, but we didn't know he could have that kind of, like, aggressive the power, power running yeah. ability there in the, in the open field. Yeah, just would not be denied. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with the Journey Brown Cotton Bowl run, but the Hamler play was also a great one as well. Um, so, I mean, the fact that both of our plays, Matt, are coming from the offense – I, I'm trying to think, was there a play from the defense that we Well, the Garrett playing? Taylor touchdown, which was yeah, caused by Taylor, Michael Parsons was, just having yeah. another ridiculous pass rush and popping that ball loose. That probably stands out. I, I'm pro- We're probably missing yeah. some stuff. We're probably forgetting <laughs> We something. have 13 yeah. games to talk about, but you know, those do, I think, stand out. And I will say some of uh, Noah Kane's runs down the stretch at Iowa where he just fought and fought and fought for tough yeah. yards. Give us some credit. They don't stand out. Like, he had that third and one where he spun off of a – um, I, I just opened up your upon further review from the Iowa game to jog my memory, but he had that third and one where he spun off a defender. Uh, and even oh, that game yeah. too, there was the third and 10 that Sean Clifford ran for 11 yards and shook a defender. There were a bunch of just great little runs down the stretch there that won Penn state, the game, um, which yeah, give, give them credit for some, some of the plays in the running game that they made this year to get tough yards that they did not necessarily get in past years, even with Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders. And there was one throw, and I know people probably won't remember it because it was in a losing effort, but against Minnesota, Sean Clifford to Pat Fryermuth, there's one crazy throw. I put it up in a pond for the review for the season takeaways piece up on The Athletic. Uh, it was just one of those crazy arm angles that you look at it, he's on the move, makes the throw to Fryermuth. Uh, Pat Fryermuth also ran over quite a few guys this year as well. Uh, so t- in terms of aggressiveness, uh, he's a guy who I think next year met might be vying for our play of the year award. I could see and that player happening. of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's going to be up there for sure. Uh, which leads us to our last and probably most important part, most meaningful part of this podcast. How do we grade the season, Matt? How in the world do we grade this? I, I mean, I think this is my this problem. Is, is I have two answers here. See, choose your own adventure, dear old state. It depends. Yes, this is an open ended topic, so I'm going to say. So if I'm grading the season based on how they played from drive to drive from week to week, I'd probably give it like a B in terms of the performance. Like they were inconsistent. You know, the receiving core wasn't great beyond KJ Hamler. I think Jahan Dotson had a nice year, but overall the receiving core wasn't as deep as anticipated. You know, the defensive backs did not play as well as anticipated. You know, the pass defense certainly showed some holes down the stretch. You know, the Minnesota game was a game that they had opportunities to win the game. They didn't do it. Um, so if you if you add it all up, I think just play to play, they were probably like a B in terms of performance. But 
in terms of expectations, we knew there would be growing pains this year. We knew that from play to play, drive to drive, they'd be inconsistent. They had a new quarterback, lost Miles Sanders, um, you know, just had to replace a lot on offense in general. And we, you know, we already said, I predicted nine and three. You predicted eight and four. Eight and four. Mm-hmm. We didn't really anticipate Penn State just being in the thick of like, I mean, that they were, they were number four in the playoff rankings at, at the start. And they were undefeated into November. They made it through that three-game stretch against Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State undefeated. And, you know, Michigan State wasn't as good as they've been, but still it's kind of like a monkey off the back for Penn State winning that game on the road. So if you look at it based on expectations and and the final result, which ultimately is what matters, what people are going to look back at the season at, they went 11-2. and One of the games was a tough, close loss. They played Ohio State closer than anybody in the regular season. They won a New Year's Six Bowl game. They return a lot for next year. It's probably I'm not going to give it an A. They didn't win a championship or anything, but in terms of the overall result and what we expected, I would give Penn State season an A minus. A minus B plus territory, Matt. I think that's I think that's what we're looking at here. Um, now, as I always tell people, grading is very subjective. If you ask me for a grade in the morning, it could be different than a grade in the afternoon. Oh, your your you students know? might be a little curious. Yeah, about they that. might be listening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they might be concerned now with a new semester coming up. Uh, but I think if you, like you said, I mean, I one of the things I always look at is did they make progress throughout the year? Right? Can we say definitively that this is a better team after the Cotton Bowl than they were ahead of the Idaho game? Absolutely. Uh, can you say except for past defense? That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with way yeah, with one exception there, uh, can we say that Sean Clifford got better throughout the year? Yes and no, but yes, he also got banged up a little bit. Yes, so. and that's that's the point that that I think you have to take into the equation there too. Um, I mentioned earlier the freshman class, and you know I think that they've got some big time playmakers emerging in this class already. That was big. You got some of those guys' experience. You got six guys who burned red shirts. Uh, did Penn State play their best football in their biggest games this year? With the exception of the Cotton Bowl, no. You know, obviously, you, you look at Ohio State. You look at the Minnesota game. Uh, that's where I lean more toward the B-plus category. However, uh, all things considered, the fact that they're an 11-win team you lean more toward the A minus, so I'm gonna go B plus, Matt, because I'm a bit of a tough grader, I suppose. Uh, but undoubtedly exceeded expectations this year, um, and you know I think that's why I never give grades out after games because there's so many factors at play, and I think it's really important to look at the whole body of work and what happens over time. And for Penn State to be in the position that they were in with first year starting quarterback, all these changes at running back. Um, you know, easy to forget, but Micah Parsons was just a sophomore, even though he didn't play like it. Uh, all those things, all that being considered, I mean, undoubtedly, this was a successful season. Uh, to me, that's like, that's not even an argument to make. It was a success. It's laying the groundwork for 2020 for sure. Uh, but I would say probably a very solid, very, very solid B+. There you go. I think that splits the difference between the final record and result and maybe how they played overall which so i if i had to combine my two my two grades it would be a b plus as well so i think it's a pretty good grade to so give they're them. they're like an 88 man we'll yeah. give them an 88 which is good which is very good again yeah. 11 and 2 what ultimately matters is not the grade we give them it's that they went 11 and 2 and won the cotton bowl yep. so uh again that's three out of four 11 win seasons and obviously penn state just 
completely on the upswing versus where it was and, and ahead of expectations, certainly after the sanctions from where for where it is at the end of this decade and entering a very promising new decade. So that's going to be more of our focus now going forward on Dear Old State. We're with the season over. The plan is maybe to do one podcast a week here. Uh, we'll see how things go with breaking news that'll come up as well. But this will be our our only planned episode of Dear Old State for this week. And uh, we will be back next week as well to uh, discuss. Well, we'll see. We're going to start looking forward, maybe start giving some predictions for early, early predictions for 2020. Uh, Depth charts. Audrey will be doing some depth chart projections in a couple weeks as well. Scholarship breakdowns coming up. Even though a lot will be back, there's still going to be a lot to discuss this offseason with, uh, you know, a couple new important assistant coaches. Um, Obviously, the questions about the lack of depth at receiver, the excessive depth at running back another year for Sean Clifford. So it's going to be a fun, a fun 2020. It should be for Penn state football to talk about here. Yeah, Matt, look forward to it. And we appreciate all of you listening to dear old state this season, our first season, giving us a listen. Uh, we encourage you to rate review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as a reminder that we will continue this, as Matt said, throughout the off season, as we'll transition it into one show a week, depending when news breaks, all those things you might hear from us more. It just depends. Um, obviously, we'll be your eyes and ears on the ground in state college uh, all winter. <laughs> obviously, the lead up to the spring game, Matt, it's going to be here before we know it because it always seems to work that way. Uh, so between January and April, there will still be a lot to write about. Obviously, recruiting never ends either. And with the coaching changes, that gives us plenty of new storylines to work with, too. So I'm looking forward to uh, learning more about both of these hires, obviously, and Kurt Scirocco and Phil Troutwine and kind of doing some deep dives on them. So we will continue bringing you plenty of Penn State coverage to The Athletic all year long. Well, there you go. So subscribe to The Athletic if you are not a subscriber. Audrey has her also her upon further review breakdown of the season as a whole, kind of, and looking, spinning a few things forward as well. That is up on The Athletic. Subscribe for Penn State coverage and National College football coverage as well, of course, throughout the year, throughout the offseason. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening to the first season of Dear Old State. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.